What makes a great round of golf is your short game. And when it comes to putting, alignment may be the most important part of the equation. That's why Odyssey continues to set performance standards with the new triple track putters. Three distinct alignment lines are centered on every triple track putter head. That's the same visual technology that lands jets on aircraft carriers. You'll be amazed at how easy it is to line up so you can focus on making a great stroke. Get lined up with the new triple track putters at CallawayGolf.ca. When COVID-19 hit, many workers across the country who were able to started hunkering down in basements or spare bedrooms or at the kitchen table trying to get their work done. Three months in, and for many, that change could be permanent. But the end of the office isn't without problems. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. I talk with the Financial Post's Vanmala Subramaniam about how companies are accommodating remote working, what it can mean for cities in the long term, and what ramifications there are for digital security and work-life balance. Don't forget you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your favorite shows. We'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So Van Malo, when COVID-19 was declared a global pandemic and when countries started closing down their economies, a lot of offices figured that they could keep things going by sending employees home to work. Now that doesn't apply to everybody. Obviously there are people who are, you know, working grocery stores or hospitals or even machine shops, places like that. But a large category of workers has for the last three months been working from home. But when do you get a sense that things really started to feel like this could very well be the new normal for millions of Canadians. A couple of days after the WHO declared a pandemic, the first shift we saw to this idea of working from home was actually made by the big tech companies, Google, Facebook, Twitter, and Shopify, to be exact. And big tech has a history of always being ahead of the curve in terms of making these what was then seen as radical internal shifts in their company and the way the company works. So what they did is they sent a lot of the employees home because of the pandemic. Then you saw the banks, the insurance companies, the consultancy, all these big white collar firms follow suit, law firms. And then, you know, months later, when the notion that the pandemic will never really be over until a vaccine is found became a norm, we kind of all processed it and accepted it in a way. Google and Facebook then declared that their work from home policies are going to last for the rest of the year. Mm -hmm. And then Twitter and Shopify, they said all our employees who don't need to come into work and can do their jobs from home, you can actually do it forever from home if you chose to. So that is something we've never really ever seen before. Because keep in mind, these companies actually spent a lot of money building very, very pretty offices with tons of facilities and things to do, a lot of which was to encourage the employees to spend a lot of time in offices as opposed to out of them. Mm -hmm. So for them to then say, you guys can work from home till whenever was a significant shift in how we think about the future of work and remote work. In some ways, it is surprising to see that a pandemic is kind of what it took to push that direction. I understand why employers would want their staff working in-house, so not in their own homes, but in-house. But at the same time, we are at a place, technologically speaking, where this is actually quite 
feasible. Unlike the influenza pandemic of 1918 and 1919, millions of people can do their jobs from home. In theory, this could be seen as a good thing for people, right? You know, you don't have long commutes. Companies presumably could save money on office space or, you know, heating a building and paying property taxes. Like, what are some of the upsides here beyond that? So the upsides to employees are obviously greater flexibility. You don't need to wake up two hours in advance in massive cities like Toronto and San Francisco and New York and get on a subway and commute, you know, and waste, say, two to three hours of your day not doing anything but commuting. So that that's one of the plus points for employees. And it also just gives you this ability to take more frequent breaks at work, for example, without thinking that your colleagues are watching you or thinking that, hey, why isn't this person really doing their work? It just, you know, that there's a certain freedom that comes with that. Of course, the flip side to that is, and I don't have kids, but my friends and colleagues with kids, especially with daycares closed during the pandemic, it is difficult. So it's it's not all great. It is difficult. Mm-hmm. There's also this, this factor of not having a work-life balance or a separation between like life and work or leisure and work because your space is just the same. But, you know, Dave, I, I wanted to point you towards actually our company, Post Media, issued a note that they got us to do a survey and like many other companies who have gotten the employees to do surveys on work from home. And they found that a a vast majority of people in the company actually would choose to work from home more often. So that kind of indicates that the idea of working from home is something people have become used to and maybe would like to do in the long term. And I think a lot of companies, at least the companies I spoke to, are saying that that's a big part of the planning strategy going forward how do we make sure that teams who want to work from home are able to do it? Because as long as your productivity remains the same, there really is no reason for companies to be paying huge rents in office real estate Mm -hmm. when the employees can do what they do in the office at home. So I think they're doing a cost-benefit analysis of working from home. And and from all measures and, and indications from people I've spoken to, it's kind of falling in favor of the remote work scenario. And that seems to be the future of work. One thing I'm curious about, though, Do we get a sense of how big the hit to the economy would have been if on top of the companies that have already shut down and on top of the people who already lost their jobs, if certain companies didn't have that ability to have people work remotely, the pandemic could have had an even more drastic impact on Canada's and the world economy, don't you think? Definitely. And the best indication of that is if you look at jobs numbers, the the kinds of people who have lost jobs or the sectors that it has affected most have been the service sector. So restaurants and people working in retail shops, but really like bars and restaurants being a big part of that. And you haven't actually really seen white collar workers take a huge hit from economic shutdown as yet. You might see that in the job data going forward, but for now you haven't seen that yet. And, you know, to your point, It is true if you didn't actually have the ability for a vast number of white-collar workers to just convert their living rooms into offices, they would probably have had to be temporarily laid off. There would be a massive shrinkage in the workforce of major companies. And obviously, you know, productivity rates would dip. So you could say that we are lucky that if a pandemic had to happen, 
it happened in 2020 when we're technologically equipped to be able to conduct remote work in a very productive way. Looking at the flip side of this notion that the concept of the office is being drastically changed, it's not all positive, right? Cities, I think, in some way rely on companies having big head offices, having headquarters downtown, spurring a lot of economic development downtown. What are the potential downsides to this change? One of the potential downsides, and Dave, you probably might be more familiar with this in cities like Edmonton and Calgary, who have seen an absolute exodus of workers from in headquarters of energy companies mm -hmm. leave offices just completely empty. I think at one point, the vacancy rate for office real estate in downtown Calgary was about 40%, indicating that 40% of, of offices would just weren't occupied. Yeah. It just alters the economy of cities. And it is very likely that if we move more and more towards a work-from-home scenario, you're going to see people moving out of cities because cities were really built to be dense and built to have people live on top of each other in one-bedroom condos and then go into work or walk to work, you know, and be in proximity to their workplace. And now if they can't do that, there really is no incentive to live in such small confines, especially when they're expensive. What are some of the challenges to making this remote working situation feasible? Are there security concerns? Are there technological concerns? Are there labor law concerns? Can you walk me through some of those challenges? <laughs> Absolutely. It's not as easy as you think. So one of the examples uh, I used in a piece that I recently wrote about remote work was, what if an employee decides, I work in Toronto, I'm a journalist, say, and I want to park myself on a beach in Spain or a beach in Jamaica, and I have access to Wi-Fi connectivity, which means I can make my calls and say I'm on the same time zone. There's no reason why I need to work from Toronto. But that is actually way more complicated. It turns out that employment law, if a worker is working in a place like, say, France, and they're employed by a Canadian company, that worker, even though the worker is Canadian and might have the ability to work in France through some sort of work visa program, they are bound by French employment laws. So that means technically, let's say a Canadian company hired the worker and said, this is your benefit package you're entitled to only this amount of vacation time, 10 days. But then the worker goes to France and says, hey, actually, I'm governed by the legal system here. And here I get, I'm not sure what the vacation days are in France, but you know, I'm just throwing out a number there. Say I get 25 days of vacation a year. Mm -hmm. So technically, the Canadian employer is then obligated to offer those benefits to the employer based in France. And the company might not want to do that. So it's not as simple as saying, hey, I can just move to another country and work out of that. And the other issue is a payroll tax issue. So companies obviously pay payroll taxes to the government for each worker that they employ. But if you, say, have that worker in France, you need to report their income to the French tax authorities. You can't just put that on, say, a Canadian payroll tax. So then you go through this whole logistical hassle of figuring out just for one worker, how do I pay taxes in a foreign jurisdiction? It costs money to figure that out. Maybe you have to go through some sort of intermediary 
payroll processing company like ADP, Ceridian. So essentially, it begs the question to the employer of, would I want to go through this and retain this worker? Because there are so many legal barriers to someone just wanting to work from abroad. Now, if you're doing work remotely in, say, a different province or you're living in a suburb and your office is downtown, obviously those concerns don't apply. But if that's the case, companies have been worried about security breaches. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you're not using an internal VPN network, a virtual private network that you would be in the office. You're using your home Wi-Fi. And oftentimes, if you're dealing with sensitive data, even through email, you can be easily hacked. How big a concern is that? I'll give you an example that in early May, the United Kingdom and the U.S.'s, America's cybersecurity branches, the Department of Home Security, warned, they actually issued a formal warning saying that hacking groups were looking to get hold of information related to healthcare research, pharmaceuticals, like the vaccine development, how companies were responding to COVID, just sensitive information was being targeted and they had evidence of that. So Hmm. it is a security concern. It's been documented, at least by governments, if you want to believe governments. And large employers like the big banks, especially who deal with massive transactions and manage high net worth clients, for instance, they take their data really seriously because those breaches are severe. So they already have heightened security protocols in place. So yeah, there there are a couple of concerns. It theoretically would be lovely to have the future of work be, let's have a global world, let's work from wherever we want. It might improve work-life balance, but the practical realities of it are a little bit more complicated. Do you get the sense that this is going to be the new normal or once we see maybe a second wave of the pandemic and we get past it and we've developed a vaccine and everything is back to quote unquote normal, that this idea falls away and we could see a migration back to offices in city cores and kind of bring that livelihood back to downtown areas across the country. Where do you see it going, I guess? I think that is possibly a premature question for June of 2020. But I can tell you that I spoke to the owner of a company called Flex Jobs. And Mm -hmm. essentially what that site does is it only lists remote work opportunities and jobs that allow you to work from home. And they have seen an absolute uptick in the number of job postings for work from home situations. And those job postings are not necessarily temporary. So they don't have disclaimers saying until the pandemic is over, you work from home. They are actual full-time jobs saying, hey, we've shifted this position to a full work from home position, apply here. And I'm not sure if I brought up this point earlier, but one of the things that does do is that, of course, could attract a global talent pool, which could have an impact on the average Canadian worker if companies decide that they can hire for cheap abroad and that that could have some repercussions. We haven't actually seen that data really play out, but there are conversations taking place in big financial companies, according to consultants I've spoken to at PwC, KPMG, saying that those conversations are taking place. Employers are thinking, you know what, maybe because this work from home thing is working and it might last forever, 
we don't necessarily have to hire a Canadian. We might hire the cheaper and more productive, say, Latvian worker to be our data security analyst who can do his work from Latvia and has all the work visa requirements to work out of his home country. So those conversations are definitely taking place amongst large corporations in Canada. What about the social aspect of work? Are we designed to hunker down in a, in a basement or a spare bedroom or, you know, sit at our kitchen table and not interact with the people who are our colleagues? That's a good question. One of the things that the big tech companies, Google and Facebook, have always prided themselves on is this creative office space that they have created where you can book a nap room or you can play pool in the middle of the afternoon and you feel refreshed from taking those little breaks and you have all these perks of the company providing you meals. And so if you transition to remote work, what happens to all those perks and Will that actually impact your relationship with your job? The feeling that maybe you are not compensated as much as you used to because you technically don't have those perks anymore. So there are definitely concerns about this. And employees themselves have raised concerns about the fact that electricity bills or their rent payments are not being subsidized by employers when effectively they've converted their homes to workspaces an example of how that was actually taken to court was in Switzerland recently, where in a legal dispute, a court ruled that employers would actually have to pay employees who work from home a certain portion of their rent, at least for the amount of time that they're working from home. So there are repercussions to people working from home from a financial point of view. Also from the point of view, as you mentioned, of people not being able to just go up and get a coffee with your colleague. And so people are seeing a higher degree of burnout because there's no separation. And really, I think what it comes down to is the ideal solution could be the mix of these two ways of working. So maybe two to three days, you're at home and you can get your stuff done and you don't have to commute. And two days, you have that interaction of going into the office, having that important FaceTime with your bosses, and you don't lose out from that because you get to have the best of both worlds. It's definitely something that many, many people in Canada will be thinking about as we come out of the global pandemic. Van Walla, thanks for your time. Thank you very much, Dave. 10.3 is produced by Carson Jarama, theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Vanmala Subramaniam. More from her at financialpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.